You are listening to Let Them Eat Avocado Toast, a podcast dedicated to offering a no gimmicks and ethical approach to building personal wealth and overall adulting with your host, Kristen Atherton, brought to you by Camex LLC. Sunday Funday means brunch, bottomless mimosas, and bills? Ew. Hey girlies, your elder millennial big sis, Kristen Atherton, up in this mother. Did you miss me? Probably not my singing, to be sure. Either way, I sure missed you. Now we had a rare uptick last episode. Almost as rare as an uptick in the stock market these days. Too soon? Anyway, we discussed all the types of accounts that can earn you interest. You're basically loaning out your money in exchange for a small, or not so small, return on your investment in the form of interest payments or stock market returns. Now this week, we're flipping the script, turning the tables, and we're talking about the ways that you are loaned money in exchange for a not-so-small return on the creditor's investment in the form of interest payments. Your interest payments. Basically, we're spending our time today talking about loans. I know it's your fave. Now, before we get started, I would like to make a toast to the almighty dollar, without which we would have no sense. Cheers! Now, if I'm going to be super thorough, I suppose I should start by telling you girls what a loan is. Like, you know, the technical definition. A loan is a sum of money that one or more individuals or companies borrow from banks or other financial institutions so as to financially manage planned or unplanned events. In doing so, the borrower incurs a debt which he has to pay back with interest and within a given period of time. Now, I'm pretty sure that was obvious, but I don't want to leave anyone out in case I made a bad assumption. So, if you don't know, now you know. And you girls should know that I am fighting all of my urges to bust out and wrap that line a la that OG, Notorious B.I.G., because I'm sure I used up all of my singing, rapping rights for the season in the last episode. So if you girls don't mind, I'm just going to say banks from now on to be concise, but I really mean any institution willing to loan you money. The main terms you need to remember when talking about loans are principal, interest, and loan term. Loan term is likely somewhat obvious. It's the length of time that you have to pay back the loan. Principal is the amount of money you borrowed, so like the original amount of the loan. Interest is the extra money that you have to pay the bank for the privilege of using their money today so that you get to pay them back tomorrow. It's like basically their fee, All right, so a loan is a loan is a loan, right? No, ma'am. There are lots of ways for banks to loan you money. Now, before I get into splaining, let me walk you through a visual exercise. Don't close your eyes if you're driving, but 
The first thing I want you to think of is a line. I'll use the political spectrum to help with this visual. So on the political spectrum, they use the terms left and right to mean liberal and conservative, respectively. Politicians and citizens will all fall on some part of this line. But it's a spectrum, right? So it's not an all or nothing kind of thing, no matter who tries to tell you otherwise. With that in mind, now picture a plus sign. Now I don't have a good analogy to go along with this part, but imagine the vertical line is just another spectrum, okay? And the extremes are at the top and bottom in this, in this particular case. All right, so now you have this plus sign of two intersecting spectrums in your brain. We can go back to loans now. There are two spectrums <laughs> to describe types of loans. The first spectrum is between secured loans and unsecured loans. A secured loan is so named secure because it is backed up by collateral. I may have mentioned it in a previous episode, but I don't remember. So just in cases, collateral is an asset that the bank can take away from the borrower if the borrower defaults on the loan or doesn't pay the whole thing. So basically with a secured loan, the bank will definitely get its money back, or at least most of it. So either you pay them back or they take the collateral. These loans usually come with lower interest rates because remember they are a lower risk to the bank. And the larger the loan, the more secure a loan the bank is going to want. These secure loans also tend to have longer payback periods. Now on the other end of the spectrum are unsecured loans. In contrast to the super secured loans, the unsecured loans don't require any collateral. Now, according to my sources, the banks are super thorough when reviewing an applicant for an unsecured loan so they can make sure that person will be able to pay back the loan. That's why you see higher interest rates for lower credit scores. They're like hedging their bets. I'm skeptical on how thorough they are though, but more on that later. Now I just gave you the horizontal spectrum, secured and unsecured. On the vertical spectrum, to finish out the plus sign, we have, drum roll please. Just kidding, it's not that exciting. The vertical spectrum is open-ended and closed-ended loans. So a closed-ended loan is a one-time loan. You need some amount of money, you go get a loan and they give you that money and then you have to pay it back. But let's say you needed more money in the middle of paying back your loan. Well, a closed ended loan means that you're gonna have to go get a whole new loan. Completely different account, completely different set of terms. Now I was looking for a fun idiom to say like the bank is closed, but literally the bank has closed its vault to you unless you take out another loan. So no idioms, just literalities. Is that a word? I don't know, we're gonna keep going. So by contrast, an open-ended loan is one that you can keep pulling money out of, increasing the amount that you owe to the bank. Now, no bank is actually going to have a pure open-ended loan. There will be some sort of limit on the amount that you can take out. Think credit limits, okay? The last type of loan to remember 
kind of. It has nothing to do with the plus sign of intersecting spectrums. It's what we call a conventional loan. All this really means is that the loan is not insured by a government agency. Usually this pops up when you hear about mortgages, whatever. You can also have a fixed rate and variable rate loan uh, where your interest rate would be able to stay the same or it could change based on market conditions. Again, respectively, fixed, stay the same, variable, changes with the market. At least that one's self-explanatory. So if the market rates drop and you're locked into a fixed rate, you won't get the discount. But if the market rates rise, you don't have to pay any more unless you have a, vari a variable rate loan. Now you're playing with fire on a variable rate loan and it makes budgeting tougher. Fixed rates are the safer bet, in my opinion. And if you see interest rates drop drastically compared to the fixed rate that you have on a, on a longer term loan only, there's the option to refinance at a lower interest rate, but always for a cost. Okay, so why did I want you to think about the plus sign setup? Well, all the different loans you're going to encounter fall somewhere along each of those first two spectrums. In the same way none of us falls purely on one side of the political spectrum, these loans fall somewhere on the secured spectrum and somewhere on the open-ended spectrum. They'll fall into one of the four corners of the plus sign, top right, bottom right, bottom left, and top left. That means you could have an unsecure open-ended loan, an unsecure closed-ended loan, a secure open-ended loan, or a secure closed-ended loan. And for those of you girls who think you can't do math, I absolutely just described a two-dimensional graph and these four corners are what the math nerds like to call quadrants. Look at you doing math and shit. You're welcome. Houses and cars and boats, oh my. The most common loans that are out there that were likely the kind that would come to your mind, at least before the credit game episodes, mortgages, auto loans, and maybe even boat loans for some of you. I don't know, maybe you live in Venice and you know a boat is the only thing you need to get around. You can't have a car there. These are all secured loans because the bank will take the asset you're getting the loan for. So they're all closed-ended. You pull out one amount once, and that's that. The nice thing about these types of loans is that you know all the terms up front. I'll get into different types of mortgages in the house buying episode next season, so this won't be as true for all the different types of mortgages. But as for the traditional mortgage structure and auto loans, they look fairly similar. At the beginning, you agree on a cost for the asset you want to buy, so you negotiate your house price or your car price. Then you determine how much money you are able and willing to pay right that moment. This is called your down payment. Many closed-ended secure loans will want you to put some money down, and they may require you to pay for additional loan insurance if you don't, like PMI if you've heard of that. But, you know, if not, no worries. We'll talk about it in the home buying episode. Now, once you know the price and how much you're paying up front, you can then determine how much money you will have to borrow, which is what's left on the price after you put money down. You work with the lender to determine the interest rate and the loan term. Shorter term interest rates are usually higher than longer term interest rates. 
This is because the longer you are locked into paying the lender back, the more money the lender actually brings in. So the higher rate is meant to make up for the shorter term, essentially guaranteeing the lender a set return on its investment. So now you know how much you're paying, what the interest rate is going to be, and how long you'll be paying for. The lender will calculate out what your monthly payment will look like for that loan from that information, and you will now know what to add to your budget every month. It is consistent, and it does not veer away from expectations. What's more is you should have already accounted for this payment in your budget before you even agreed to purchase your asset. So you will already know if you can afford to make those payments every month. With any of these types of loans, I would recommend ensuring that you can put 20% of the agreed upon cost down so that your loan amount is no more than 80%. There are a few reasons for this. For one, it requires a lower line of credit to be extended to you, both lowering your monthly payments and sheltering your credit score to an extent. The other reason is the additional loan insurance payments are usually triggered for any loan where the borrower is asking for over 80% of the total cost of the asset. In other words, if you put down less than 20% upfront, they'll make you pay extra money each month. You may think, well, what's the big deal with that? It's just, again, more money you're paying to the bank that you don't need to. You get nothing out of that money. You don't get that money back. It's only there to lower the risk for the lender further. That's all. It literally does nothing for you. You're literally, you're paying for nothing. Well, I suppose you're paying to get an asset sooner than if you waited to save up 20%, which in my opinion would mean that you're paying to get an asset that you cannot yet afford to purchase. Now, Here's the fun thing about these types of loans is that if you go in and try to pay more than your monthly payment, all of that money that you're paying sooner, like, you know, extra, is going toward your principal, not your interest payment. So basically, you're starting to pay off the loan earlier than you would have otherwise. This is a distinct, amazing thing about these types of loans. I mean, double check the terms of your loan to make sure that it says it's allowed because some of them are kind of sketched like that. But in any case, this is a really great way to get the loan paid off sooner and then you pay less interest at the end because you shorten the amount of time that you actually have the loan open. There's also no penalties for paying off the loan early except for some level of credit score penalties if you pay it off too soon. So like if you get an auto loan for you know, four or five year term, but you can pay it off in like six months, keep paying the payments for like a year and then pay it off because the six month thing is going to actually look worse for your credit because then you're not like a reliable borrower because they're not making as much off of you as they thought they were going to. The next type of common loans that you will be familiar with are credit cards. Now, I talked extensively on credit cards in episode four, so I won't dive into all the details again today. What I will tell you is where in that plus sign credit cards show up. Credit cards are open-ended loans. You can take out $20 to pay for a movie ticket, then another $17 for popcorn and a Diet Coke. 
Then on the way home from the movie, you can stop, pay another eight bucks for ice cream, and then 75 bucks to fill up your gas tank. These sound like making a list of purchases, but it's actually a list of loans that you kept taking out all on the same credit card account. You started with a loan for $20, and by the end of your evening, you now owe $120. That is what they mean by open-ended. Now, I mentioned a bit earlier that there's not really a pure open-ended loan because the bank will put a cap on how much money you're allowed to pull out, your credit limit. So you don't have to pull out any money on that credit card, but you definitely can't pull out more than your credit limit, say $5,000. Credit cards are also unsecured loans. You don't have to put anything on the line as collateral for a credit card. Unsecured loans come with higher interest rates, again, as a protection for the lender. It's a risk aversion tactic. So credit cards are open-ended, unsecured loans. The reason I don't love these kinds of loans is because there is absolutely no predictability and no protection for you, the borrower. I talked about this a bunch in the credit game, I know, but it's all too easy to borrow more money than you can actually afford to pay back, which subjects you to ever-compounding interest on the ever-growing balance in your account. It's unpredictable. The amount of money you actually wind up owing the lender in interest could vary wildly, and it could eventually balloon out of control. In a mortgage, you know exactly how much money you owe at any given point. You're consistently, steadily working to pay it down, and you are seeing progress every time you make a payment. With credit cards, unless you're paying your balance in full each time you make a payment, you're increasing the amount of interest that you owe the bank. And if it gets out of hand, paying toward your credit card balance may not even make a dent in what you owe thanks to the continually compounding interest. There's another category of loans that's pretty common, known as personal loans. These are typically shorter term, roughly on the same scale as an auto loan, so one to five year terms. There are quite a few different types of loans out there that the banks will be happy to lend you money for. This could include credit builder loans, debt consolidation loans, home improvement loans, pool loans, medical loans, and some that I call frivolous loans. Credit builder loans are closed-ended, I think secured loans that help you build positive credit history. These are usually small and short-term, like 300 to 1,000 bucks for something like six months to two years. The next part is the debt consolidation loan. These combine multiple debt accounts, ideally with a lower interest rate. They could possibly fix your interest rate where it used to be adjustable, making your payments a little more predictable. Now, based on my research, these seem like they're closed-ended, unsecured loans, but it's possible there's some collateral securing them. These should be compared to the balance transfer cards that we talked about in episode four if you're going this route, because either of these options might prove to be the best one depending on circumstances. The home improvement loan is what it sounds like. It's there to pay for a home improvement or a repair project. These are typically unsecured loans, but it seems like they're closed-ended. 
Again, we'll talk more about buying a house in season two, but for now, just know that buying a house means you're going to have to pay for maintenance on the house if something breaks, like a new water heater, you might need a new roof, a new fence. These kinds of repairs can cost thousands, so don't buy a home lightly. And also, remember how I wanted you to have that rainy day fund? Well, yeah. That rainy day fund could be the difference between paying out of pocket and having to take out a loan. A loan should be your very last resort if something breaks. If you're using a loan like this to make updates or improvements, like say upgrading a kitchen from like the 1970s to the 2020s, you're gonna wanna work with a realtor first. Honestly, probably get two or three opinions. Have them look at other homes in the area and find out how much you could spend to improve whatever you're trying to improve before you won't see a return when you sell. So that means kind of look at what your house price might look like if you made those updates. A home improvement loan could pay for itself when you sell, but you could also over improve a house and you'll wind up in debt for something that the next owner won't have to pay you back for. If you're going to be there forever, it might not be a big deal to you because you'll pay off the loan and you'll have been enjoying it. But if you're not going to be there forever, double check with your realtor for sure. A pool loan is, just like it sounds, building or repairing a pool on your property. Similar to a home improvement loan, this should really be your last resort if your pool requires maintenance. And if you're looking to install a new pool, again, Talk to a few realtors to see what kind of shift in the home value you're looking at. It's possible to spend tens of thousands of dollars here that you won't get back when you sell, and you might even lose home value depending on where you're at. A medical loan is meant to cover the cost of medical treatment or living costs while you're recuperating from an illness or a procedure. Some medical providers will actually offer more attractive assistance packages, such as no interest loans. In any case, these should again be a last resort and definitely do your research. It seems like they're closed-ended from what I could find. Um, most medical loans are also unsecured loans. You could get a secured medical loan, but these are less common. All right, then I said frivolous loans, didn't I? This would be like holiday loans, wedding loans, and vacation loans. A holiday loan is meant to help you cover the cost of holiday and gift expenses. A wedding loan is pay for your big day and related expenses. A vacation loan is literally to pay for a vacation. Now you might be like, um, Kristen, ma'am, these are not frivolous, but I'm sorry to tell you that yes, the fuck they are. If you cannot afford to buy Christmas gifts or whatever holidays you celebrate that traditionally come with gifts, for goodness sakes, just don't give gifts that year. If you have kids, that may mean getting a little creative, like, I don't know, setting out a scavenger hunt to find stockings and treats around the house. You know, thanks to Santa, of course. Now, if you're just obliged to your adult relatives, just tell them that money's tight this year. Give them a card, something small, something homemade, or give them a shared experience with you. I mean, quality time is a lot of people's top love languages. It's definitely mine. So put your phone on Do Not Disturb and give them the gift of your full, undivided presence. Write them a note, maybe, about why you love having them in your life. Sometimes words and deeds are the best gift you can give, and they don't require you to take out a loan to give them. 
If you want to get married and have a lavish wedding, girl, I get it. We'll get into weddings next season too, but for now, let me just say that weddings have gotten out of fucking control. They're absolutely ridiculous. Except for my sister's wedding, if she's listening, hers was very beautiful. There's no reason that you should have to pay so much money to celebrate your union, except that, as with everything else in this country, capitalism has taken over weddings. And magazines like The Knot make you feel like you're just hot garbage if your wedding isn't amazeballs. But trust me, you do not want to start your marriage off like that. As for the vacation, girl, this is not a YOLO LALA land, okay? Save some money for your vacation, then take your vacation. Don't take out a loan for it. A solid vacation costs roughly like $2,500 to $3,500 per person. You want to go to Europe? I've got a travel agent who will stick to your budget like glue. Do your research on your vacation. Use credit card reward miles. Just don't take out a loan from the bank. And for fuck's sake, don't put it on a credit card unless you can pay it off. The last one we're going to talk about is a family or friend loan. And all this means is that you skip the bank altogether and you get a family member or a friend to loan you money. Good Lord, please do not do this. If you have family members and slash or friends who are willing to gift you some money, that is very kind and generous of them and you are super fucking grateful. My own sense of pride and ego would tell you that you need to keep track of it and pay them back when you can in the future even if they say it's not necessary, because that's what I would want to do. Now, don't take a loan from a friend unless you're looking for a reason to hate that person. Same with family members. If you are the generous benefactor, that's fantastic. You are an amazing human with a huge heart. But if you're making a loan, you're never going to see that money again. Don't loan your friends and family money with the expectation of getting paid back. Nine times out of 10, you won't see that money. You're never going to see that money again. And if you need to get it back because you're having a financial situation, it will destroy your relationship. No discussion on loans would be complete without talking about student loans. We've been hearing about the student loan crisis for at least a decade now. Well, perhaps that's just how long I've been paying attention. Who knows? First and foremost, how are student loans structured? Well, it's a little complicated, but not something that we can't use our plus sign to categorize. There's generally no collateral offered when a would-be student takes out a loan for school, so that would make it an unsecured loan. The part that gets a little complicated is whether it's open-ended. It is, and it isn't. There are hard and fast rules on how much you can take out with a student loan but you can increase the amount to take out each year for four years while you're still in school. Depending on whether or not you're an undergraduate student, graduate student, how far along you are in your degree program, and whether your loan is through a private lender or the government, the amount that you can take out each year will vary. So it's technically an open-ended loan, but it's less open-ended than, say, credit cards in the sense that you can't just pull out whatever, whenever, but usually you have a higher limit on student loans than on credit cards. With federal student loans, undergraduates can borrow up to $12,500 each year and no more than $57,500 total. Graduate students can borrow up to $20,500 each year 
with no more than $138,500 total. Federal loans can be subsidized for undergraduates, but it's not guaranteed that they will be. Depending on the private institution that you borrow from, if you go that route, you could pull out even more money. Federal student loans are fixed rate. Private student loans could be fixed or variable rate depending on the loan terms that you sign. Now, when I was in high school, roughly around 2002, so 20 years ago, ouch, the word on the street about student loans was how amazing they are. We were spoon-fed the idea that the only way to make good money was to go to college and earn a degree. And beyond that, most undergraduate degrees, they weren't enough to make a livable wage on. Many professions required a graduate degree or even a PhD. If your parents hadn't been saving for you to go to college, you could still take out a student loan. Then you'd be able to pay it back when you got out because you'd be making enough money to do so. Everything would be amazing and you could have the life you wanted because student loans made it possible. This marketing strategy for student loans was incredibly pervasive and persuasive because I actually mostly heard about them from my mom, a very money savvy individual. And she was completely convinced, or at least so she doesn't confess at me later, that's how it seemed to my teenage self at the time. Fast forward 20 years, and we can see that all of that was a bunch of horseshit. Now, there are two big kickers to look at on student loans. The first is the amount of money that you're allowed to take out. Astro-fucking-nomical that teenagers with no income can take out what used to be the amount of money that could buy a house in the suburban area I grew up in. A pretty nice size house at that, with a nice size yard. But, you know, back to student loans. So the other big kicker is the way student loans are expected to be paid back. We were sold the idea that your salary would help to dictate how much you paid each month once you got out of school. Well, that's not necessarily true. Federal student loans are generally set up with a loan term of 10 years. Standard repayment options are set up like a mortgage or car loan. You know how much you owe each month and that will never change. There are graduated repayment options where you start off by paying less monthly at the beginning and then having your payments increase over time, usually bumping up every couple of years. You could set yourself up with an extended repayment plan which would increase your loan term up to 30 years, just like a mortgage, if you owed more than $30,000. There are three types of repayment options that actually have something to do with your income. They are income-based, income-contingent, and income-sensitive repayment plans. Income-based repayment plans are calculated at about 10 to 15% of your after-tax income less your personal expenses, or so they say. And they will be updated each year and adjusted for the size of your family and your current earnings. Similar to the income-based repayment plan, the income contingent repayment plan is based on 20% of your discretionary income, so what's left after your set expenses are met. In this one, the interest rate usually adjusts every year. And this type of repayment plan has a little benefit to it, I guess, to counter the fact that you owe 5 to 10% more principal 
and your interest rate keeps changing, but the balance can be forgiven, but also taxed. After the super short term of just 25 years. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound worth it to me. The last one of these income plans was the income sensitive repayment plan. This one is based on your income before taxes. So it doesn't take your discretionary income into account. Remember gross I don't like anything that's done with gross, so you can guess how I'm feeling right now about that one. This payment is calculated to have your loans paid off in 10 years. That means it's going to be a larger payment than the other two types that take your income into consideration. Now, a quick math moment, and stay with me here. If taxes are around 30% of your gross salary, and then they take 20% of your gross salary for your student loans, now, you're just supposed to be living off of 50% of your gross salary, including 401k, savings, housing, bills, any other debt payments, and all of your discretionary spending. If you make $50,000 a year out of school, gross, that means you only have $25,000 to live off of. And if you save 5% in your 401k, that drops to $23,750, which is just under $2,000 a month. So your housing will need to be around $590 a month to stay at a reasonable space, which is pretty tough to come by. So is that really sensitive to your income? I mean, perhaps. I guess it depends on what the alternative is. But you just went to college for four years, and now you're supposed to live on $1,980 each month. By contrast, apartments in Denver are right around that much. Depending on the place, you might be able to get a two-bedroom, but you're more likely going to be in a one-bedroom. That's supposed to not just be for rent, that's going to be for everything. And I can't tell you for certain whether these income-sensitive loans would be less or more per month than the traditional repayment plan for a student loan. I think it really all depends on your terms. Notice though that the repayment plans based on your income are variable loan term, variable rate, and variable payment. There is nothing about them that is certain. The variable loan term means that they keep assessing interest as you go. The longer it takes you to pay off your loans, the more money you will end up having to pay. Now all that applies to federal student loan repayment. Private student loan repayments will likely look more like a mortgage, but if you need to redo the terms, you'll have to work it out with your lender and there's no guarantee that they'll be interested in helping. All right, so what did we just learn about student loans? They are unsecured, mid-range between open and closed-ended, and they can have variable payback terms and variable interest rates. In my opinion, the best types of loans that you could get would be fixed interest rate, secured, and closed-ended. The farther the loan terms deviate from that setup, the harder they really are to deal with. On top of that, as a student, you would have no idea how much money you would actually make when you graduated, if you graduated at all. Plus, the majority of students taking out loans are what? 18? No credit history, no credit score, Likely little or no understanding of the financial system, the credit system, how much anything really costs. And 
Okay, so with a mortgage or an auto loan, you have a chance to figure out whether you can afford to take out a loan beforehand. With a student loan, you have no idea what your future budget will look like. There's literally no way to know whether you can afford the payments or even what those payments might be, how much you would eventually have to pay in interest beyond the initial amount of principal that you opted into, none of it. I mean, I don't know about you, but my heart rate is rising just thinking about this. Private student loans are subject to usury laws, as you may recall, but I don't think federal student loans are. I couldn't find anything that said that they are. The funnest part about student loans is that they're next to impossible to get wiped off your books, even if you filed for bankruptcy. The penalties for loaning money to people who may never be able to pay them off are burdens on the borrower and on the taxpayer, since, you know, federal loans are paid by the federal government, which gets its money from taxpayers. The banks get no consequences. They just send up debt collectors to harass borrowers until forever. No, literally forever. If you're 85 with Alzheimer's and your only income is Social Security, they will take a portion of your Social Security check. They will follow you for your student loans until the day you die. Literally no other loan can legally garnish your Social Security wages. Now, I can't imagine anything more predatory, to be honest. And from what I can tell, taxpayers have already paid for these student loans. So forgiving them doesn't cost us any more than we've already paid out. But, you know, what the fuck do I know, right? Here's the deal. If this sounds predatory to you, that's because it is. This is a scheme that the government has been complicit in for decades, allowing tens of millions of its citizens to become indentured servants of the state. In many cases, for decades, or even for life. And yes, tens of millions. There are over 44 million student loan borrowers in the country. For reference, that's roughly 15% of the population. It's three people in every 20, nearly one in every seven. The debt is up to $1.76 trillion which rose by 10% in the last two years alone. Even with the news this week that nearly 600,000 borrowers will have their $6 billion in student loans forgiven outright, that still leaves us with $1.754 trillion and 43.4 million people still affected. Student loans affect the entire adult population, not just one age group. This is a problem for the entire country, not just millennials, thanks and gigum. So when you hear the news media and politicians talk about the student loan crisis, this is what they mean. And when you hear people complaining that it shouldn't have to be the taxpayer's problem to pay for everyone else's school, well, it's already the taxpayer's problem and we're all paying for it already. I mean, not to get political on you, the numbers don't lie, that's all. So loans, should you get one, some, none? Well, that depends. Bet you didn't see that answer coming, huh? It depends on what you're getting the loan for, how much debt you already have, what kind of loan structure you're getting, what your credit score is, the last time you applied for a loan. 
You might be surprised to hear that I'm not going to tell you to completely avoid loans. Loans can be useful. You just want to use them to your advantage and not the other way around. Are y'all tired of me telling you that everything is a game with the odds stacked toward the house? Well, it's another one of those moments. Should I go with which ones to avoid first and end on a positive note? Yeah, sure, let's do it that way. What kinds of loans should you not take? Clearly, I'm not a fan of student loans. So let's start there. If you or your kids need money for school and you don't have it slash haven't been saving, you'll want to start by looking at less expensive schools. I know ego's going to take over. It's going to hurt a little bit, but maybe a junior college while living at home, at least for the first few years, and then transfer to an in-state public institution. Apply for as many scholarships and grants as you possibly can. The student should probably consider working while going to school, and she'll need to be a lot more adult about her spending habits than most undergraduate students are. There are a few resources out there because Lord knows I'm not the expert on avoiding student loans. First and foremost, you can check out the article I got my information from called How Do Student Loans Work? It's on a website called Ramsey Solutions, and it's by an author named Christina Ellis. It's basically the Cliff's Notes version, but it's a good starting point. Christina also has a suggestion for a book called Debt-Free Degree by author Anthony O'Neill. So you might check that out too. I'm also clearly not a fan of any loans that I'd called frivolous. I'll recap on those vacation loans, wedding loans, holiday loans. Straight up, you want to go on vacation or pay 25k to have a wedding, which is the average cost for a wedding in the U.S. normalized over the last seven years. Save your money, pay for it outright. Rather than add a debt payment, add a savings payment and build it up rather than pay it back. That probably means you have to wait to go on vacation or have your wedding, but I promise you it's worth it and for more reasons than one. Now remember, don't leave a mess for future you to clean up. That is not good self-care. As for gifts for Christmas, Hanukkah, birthdays, there used to be this thing called layaway. Mostly I remember it in Kmart. I think both of those have died by now. It was when people could put something to the side with that store and then they would come in and pay for what they could until they had paid the full price and then they could take it home. If you can't afford to save some money for things like holidays and vacations, you can't afford to pay the loan on it either. In addition to the really easy loans to avoid by just saving in advance, I would caution strongly against loans that are open-ended or have variable rates or terms. The reason is the unpredictability of the payments. So it's difficult, if not impossible, to budget for. It's also probable you wind up paying way more than you bargained for in interest. Also, open-ended loans make it easier to take out more debt without first reassessing your ability to pay it back. There are lots of factors that go into deciding whether or not to get a loan. So basically, the rest of these are going to be a strong maybe. Factor number one will be your credit score. What is your credit score? If it's low, you may want to work on building your credit back up before taking out a new loan especially since a low credit score is going to get you a higher interest rate. 
possibly require a higher down payment or may require some greater value of collateral. Factor number two are the amount of current loan payments that you have and your debt to income ratio. How many loans do you have currently? How much do they cost you each month? Could you even afford to add more liabilities to your budget? All right, so here's a good way to look at that. How much do you pay each month in your debt payments? And how much is your income? If you divide your monthly debt payments by your income, what do you end up with? The higher that number, the more you want to avoid getting a new loan. Also, if that number is one or greater, you are in over your head, sweetie. That means you already do not make enough to cover your debt payments. You definitely want to keep it below one. How much debt you're willing to take out is up to you, but remember that the more debt you have, the less you will have to work with for, well, basically anything else. Factor number three is your debt to asset ratio. In the business world, companies look at their debt to asset ratio. You're not a company, but you kind of should approach your finances like you are. So let's take a walk down memory lane. Remember how we calculated your net worth? Yeah, you had what you own, your assets, and what you owe, your liabilities, or in this case, debts. These are the big picture, how much you have in all of your asset accounts, how much you have left to pay back in all of your debt accounts. If you divide the total debt by the total assets that you have, this will give you a ratio. Again, you get to pick how high the debt to asset ratio goes. In this case, I'll just tell you what I did. My preference is to keep my debt to asset ratio below one. I didn't want to take out a debt that I couldn't ultimately pay off. Examples. When I took out a loan for my first house, I had over $350,000 in my 401k and my loan was $260,000. So yeah, I know, I told you to never take money out of your 401k, but if push came to shove and somehow, for some unforeseen reason, I had to cover the entire loan on the fly, I could. Second example, about a year later, I got into a fender bender. I'd been fighting the urge to get a new car for a very long time because mine worked fine and I didn't need to spend the money, but I really wanted a new car. Right. After the accident, I bit the bullet. There's a lot more of analysis that went into that, but I got the new car. Now I had enough money to pay for it outright, but I chose to get a loan. And the reason that I got that loan was because my industry was in a downturn and my company was starting to talk about layoffs. If I got laid off, I would want to have more cash on hand because that would give me more time to find a new job. That rainy day fund though. So I made sure that I could cover the car payment monthly, even if I got laid off, but I was better having off the cash available. Cash is king when you're in a situation. Now, what loans fall into the maybe category? Credit cards. I won't say much more because we've already had a full episode on these. You can get them. Be careful. Treat them like debit cards because they're open-ended, unsecured loans. And I think the rate might change year over year. It just depends on the card terms. The other one I'm on the fence about are the debt consolidation loans. If you need help, I won't say you shouldn't at least look into it. Just get as fixed a rate 
fixed term closed ended a loan as you can with the lowest interest rate possible. And double check the balance transfer cards by comparison. I don't know anything on these. I'm hesitant on both, but if you're in a jam with credit card debt, at least you can look into these with both eyes open now. Medical loans are sketched to me too, but if you're in a bind with this because you don't have a solid rainy day fund and something happens, I suppose it might be worth looking into. Maybe go try a GoFundMe page first though, so that you're not debt ridden after you get through your medical issues. All right, if you're thinking about a loan, what kinds might be a yes? What would be okay? Fixed rate, secured, closed-ended loans are your very best bet. That's your run-of-the-mill mortgages and auto loans. If you're looking at a home improvement loan or a pool loan, again, make sure you've talked to a realtor and have a strong chance of making the money back in a higher-than-expected sale price for the house. Also, right now, the housing market is cooling off. So, I mean, it's always a bit of a risk on that one. I put a fence in at my last house. It was beautiful. I mean, I thought I would be there a lot longer than I was. I had a very large perimeter, so it, it ended up costing me quite a bit of money. And I'll tell you, I did not make that back up when I sold the house. The only other kind that I'm kind of digging is the idea of a credit building loan. But again, it's a pretty solid maybe. They're short term, they're low value. Now they're unsecured, but just make sure that they're fixed term, fixed rate, and closed ended. And obviously that you can make the payments and they could be a bit safer than a credit card to help build credit with. With parental supervision, these might be reasonable to help a teen build some credit, but that's a pretty big caveat. It may be better to leave them with no credit until they get older. While there are plenty of ways for you to borrow money, in my opinion, most of them truly fall into predatory lending territory even if the law doesn't seem to think so. They're happy to lend you more than you should take on because it makes them money. Your indentured servitude to your loans is, in their mind, none of their business. It's a thousand percent yours though. They will tell you to take out more money than you should with a cheesy grin on their smug faces and they will feel no qualms about the obvious abandonment of ethics that goes along with selling you into something that harms your financial health. You have to be armed and dangerous to go up against these people. And no, guys, I don't mean with guns, with your knowledge and your spending boundaries. Okay, glad we clarified. If there is one common theme to the vast range of the world's financial crises, it is that excessive debt accumulation whether by the government, banks, corporations, or consumers, often poses greater systemic risks than it seems during a boom. Carmen Reinhardt. Not all loans are bad or dangerous, but many of the loans out there are toxic AF. Just because they'll give it to you doesn't mean you should take it. I mean, you don't let just any guy who hits up your DMs hit. Just like you can block a dude sending you unsolicited dick pics, you can avoid doing business with any loan provider you want if they feel shady or uncomfortable. Quick sidebar, pro tip number one, 
keep all unsolicited dick pics in a private folder on your phone so that when you get one that you didn't ask for, you can send a different one back. Then you get to play coy. Oh, um, I thought that's what we were doing. That's not what we're doing. And then enjoy the sheer chaos as this man unravels. Then block him. All right, pro tip number two. When a man sends you an unsolicited dick pic, turn that image into an NFT with his name and birth date as the title. Then force him to purchase it if he wants it to be taken down. I mean, just kidding. I'm pretty sure that's extortion. That's not ethical. But it sounds like sweet, sweet redemption. And in any case, we're not graduated to NFTs, crypto, blockchain yet. That's all episode 10. All tips for dealing with rando, dirty, DM dudes aside, we've got more to talk about next episode. They say there's only two things certain in life, death and taxes. We'll dive into one of those next time. Can you guess which one? All right, I'll give you a hint. It's not death. Phew. We'll save death for next season. Oh, shit. We'll take a high-level look at how to maximize your money when it comes to your taxes. Apologies again that this wasn't ready for April this year, but now that it's only June, you still have 10 months to prepare your mind and your strategy for next year. Well, I mean, technically it's this year's taxes, but whatever. Well, that's all I have for you girls today, so I guess let's split the bill and GTFO. Until next time, may your mimosas and bank accounts always be bottomless. Cheers. This has been Let Them Eat Avocado Toast, brought to you by Camex LLC. Any questions, comments, concerns, or requests for consultation should be directed to our email at lte.avo.toast at gmail.com. All sources used for this podcast are available upon request. All opinions expressed in this podcast are the express opinions of the host and do not represent the opinions of Camex LLC. All music used is stock music from GarageBand by Apple. Kristen Atherton and Camex LLC remind you to please drink responsibly. Mm-hmm.